You know, I do want to say something to you this morning. I, I know it's been said that you can pray at home, <clears throat> and you can. And I hope everyone does have a personal prayer life. You can read your Bible at home. You can actually turn on the Internet and watch church at home. And that's very, very popular in this culture today. But I want to say something that I, it concerns me that we're getting away from. And, and I'm not just speaking about this church, but it's, it's, it's in our culture. There's a reason why Acts 2 verse 1 says, And when they were all together in one place and in one accord. To be physically together with people matters. I know our culture today is saying, we, we don't need to go to a physical location and be with people. I, I don't get a thing out of it anyway. That's, that is a lack of understanding of the word. I, I don't condemn anybody for that because our culture is going that way. But we're missing the point. I, I know today people pick up their iPhone, their iPad. Hey, I'll have church here and just watch it. I understand that there are people, we had people in our church here that can't come to church. They physically and medically can't come. Completely understand that. And my, my thoughts here are not in any way to condemn those that cannot come because they're, they're in a rest home, medically in bed, something they just can't come. And we should, we should show compassion. We need to visit them. We need to pray with them. We need to encourage them that they're still part of a church family. But if you have two legs and you have a physical body that can get you to a place where God has planted you, there's a reason for that. You may say, well, really, what's the reason? What's the reason for coming? Well, I, I mean, I just go and shake some ushers. Hi, I don't even know you, but hi. Uh, okay, I come into this place, and okay, they're going to sing some songs that I don't even know, and I get more frustrated coming to a church. And I've had talk, I've had conversation like that with people. Do you know this is a Barna report? What I'm going to eighty percent of people that attend a church today, when they come, are under tremendous anxiety. They're under certain pressures and tensions and stresses that even before they open the doors of the church, they're already in a place of defeat. Now, I'm not saying that to, to attack them. It's just life. Life just hits us. Are, are you hearing me this morning? Now, and in no way, shape, or form are we sitting here trying to condemn people that because of the stresses, economic Neighbors, a barking dog all night. It could be a number of things that could just be on your mind. A family member, my marriage is in the hold, my kids are running everywhere, my job's taking advantage, and they're just stresses that are pound, pounding you. And so now, Pastor Ray, then we're going to come to the house of the Lord and rejoice. Right. <clears throat> When we come together, 
the purpose of coming together is probably a little bit different today. In this culture, in the way we do church today, is actually not the way they did it in the book of Acts. When they came to church, they just didn't have pews and seats. They did have some kind of setting. But the purpose of the coming into the house of God, okay, I get it, I'm up here. The purpose of the house of God was actually to be more of an active interaction with people. We were actually supposed to come up and say, John, I've been praying for you. Larry, I've been praying. I want to know, how, how are you doing in your process? Uh, uh, Fred, uh, I want to share something with you that's on my heart today. My boss is taking advantage of me. Will you stand with me as we break bread in covenant today? And will we become a body, a body that is actually sharing and giving and standing and holding each other accountable rather than, hey, buddy, how's your golf handicap? Hey, did you see how the Texas Cowboys did last night in their preseason game? It was awesome. Nothing wrong with those conversations, but that was not the, the place that the body should be. See, I cannot know you through a cell phone. I can't know you through a text. I need face, I need flesh, I need a mouth, and I need some healthy expression when I'm talking to people. God, now I know, I'm, I'm not trying to knock that technology, I'm not trying to knock where our culture is taking us, but do you know this is, in fact, I actually heard this on the radio, that there is more isolate, our, our technology and our culture has now led us to where people now are more alone and isolated than ever before. And it's because we don't know how to talk or communicate because we're... And so, so what we've done is now we have electronic church. People, why even go to church? Let's just stay home. No, I want to just say this. You matter when you're present. You matter. Turn to your neighbor and say, you matter. You actually matter. What do you mean? What do you mean, I matter? Paul says in Ephesians 4, that every joint matters and it supplies. How many here are part of the joint? How many of you got 10 fingers? How many of you got nine fingers? Okay, Larry, do you wish you had that left 10th finger? Okay. I'm glad I have all my body parts, and I'm glad they're not relating to me through a text. You see, you, now I know that, you know, Pastor Ray, wait, wait a minute, wait, time out. I'm not a social guy. I'm not a talkative person. I'm shy. I'm backwards. And that's what my doctor told me. My doctor, my doctor told me I'm bipolar. My doctor told me, my psychologist told me, 
that I don't hear right, I don't listen right, and so they give me medication. My doctor, my doctor, my psychologist told me that I've got some psychology or some psychological problems. Therefore, I have an excuse. I have an excuse. No, you don't. How many of you know? Thank you, Lord. How many of you know that the Word of God has more authority than your doctor? The Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, going right down into the areas of thought, mind, soul, conscience, and is able to discern, he's a discerner of the intents and the thoughts of the heart. And the word of God, the Holy Spirit, knows you more than you know you. And he knows the sense of weakness, the sense of fear, the sense of inhibition, the sense of the walls that we build around ourselves. And we go through life and we never really understand why we're anemic, why we're weak, why we seem to be just so alone. It's because there's no body interaction with other people in the body of Christ, such as life groups and family and, and coming to tomorrow night if you can't make it. To There's a reason why we come together as one. We could, I could tell John to stay in Plano, or he lives on McCann. I could tell others for you to stay in different places, but there's a biblical reason why they were in one place and in one court, because where the spirit of unity is, there's power. It's not raised, this is not raised message. This is the word of God. And so when I begin to pray, with my brother, looking into his face, putting my arm around his shoulder, holding a sister's hand, and I'm praying in an agreement. The Bible actually says this, that angels, hundreds of angels are dispersed as messengers. Do you remember in, in, in Genesis chapter 28, as well as in Luke chapter 1, where Jesus was speaking to Nathaniel. In fact, the, the title of my message this morning was The Case with Nathaniel, which I'm not going to get into because of time. When, God spoke to, when Jesus spoke to Nathaniel, who had come out of Nazareth, and Nathaniel said, when Philip had asked him, We found the Messiah. Philip didn't say, send a text. <laughs> Philip didn't say, get on your own. He didn't say, send a donkey and bring a report back from someone else. No, Philip said, you, Nathaniel, need to come and see him. Everyone say, come and see. Now, some of you, now, you know what, you know what Nathaniel's response was? When Philip told Nathaniel, we have found the one, the Messiah, the one in whom Moses spoke about, and he says, and the law and the prophets. We have found the Messiah. 
And this, then Philip goes to say this, and this is the big downer that really spoiled it for Nathaniel. Is when Philip said, we found the one who Moses speaks about and in the law and the prophets. And then he says this, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Big downer. Nathaniel's response was this, wait a minute. I'm glad you told me the Jesus part, but don't tell me Jesus of Nazareth. This is what Nathaniel's response was. Can anything good, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Everything was great until you told me where he came from. Everything was great until you told me his history. Everything was great until you let me know where the bum come from. I don't like Nazarites. I don't like that denominator. I don't like those kind of people. I don't like to associate with, there's a lot of darkness. You see, Nathaniel, by the way, was a critic. He was a skeptic. He was a man who was actually a student of the law, Nathaniel. If you study Nathaniel, by the way, Nathaniel in Luke 1, verses 43 to 51, it's the only time that the name Nathaniel is ever, ever mentioned in the Gospels again. But yet he was numbered among the 12 disciples. Many of the scholars believe that Nathaniel, his name was translated to Bartholomew. How many of you heard of Bartholomew? Well, Bartholomew's first name was Nathaniel. Jesus changed it, which means gift of God. When Nathaniel finally comes, I want to tell you something. You're never going to receive anything from the Holy Spirit and with power until you learn to come. Everyone say, I need to come. It's not enough to stay home and just, oh, just text. Now, I understand there's times when people are sick. There's times when you're on vacation. Take your cruise. Take your vacation. If you're sick, stay in bed, and by all means, don't come and spread it. Stay home. I'm a practical guy. But I want you to understand, there's a trend today that concerns me about this concept that I don't need to be in a location. No, no, legalistically, you don't need to. But in a practical and a relational and for the purpose of edification, growth, and empowerment and accountability, I need to be in a spiritual family because God sets the solitary in families. It's God's plan. It's not God's plan for you to be a loner. It's not God's plan for you to just sit by yourself and just try to figure it out. No, God knows that you, you and I know, by the way, you and I know about ourselves. I know this about Ray. Ray is too small-minded and he's too narrow-minded and he's too blind. That's why I need brothers and sisters around me. I can't figure it out. And by the way, one thing I've learned about strangers, you know what, let me tell you something about Ministries are strangers sometimes, even, even some pastors. You meet a strange guy who's a pastor, you know what they always tell him? They always tell me nice things. But you know, family will be honest with you. Let me say that again. Strangers will tell you the nicest things, even on Facebook. Hey, you are an amazing person, but I'm so glad I don't live with you. 
I'm so glad I don't have to. See, it's, it's easy. That's why a lot of people on Facebook get tripped up because they meet people that don't know them and only see the pretty face and only see the pretty p- picture, only, only see pretty side. And, and then and you think, you really think, but what you're really in is a bubble of fantasy. You're in a bubble of fantasy that's not. God places you, listen to me, God places you in families for this purpose is so that you can see in yourself what you don't see about yourself. Because it's people that get to know you on a routine basis. They're going to say, you know what? I love you. I'm blessing you. I'm praying for you. But you seem to kind of be a selfish person. <laughs> what? 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 No, no I, I love you in Jesus, but you're, I think you're kind of selfish. No. I rebuke that in Jesus. I'm out of this church. Oh boy, I gotta go to another church. Well, then tell me what I want to hear. Stroke my ego. Help me. What we end up doing is we become tumbleweeds that have no root and we have no fruit. How many of you know that if we're called Isaiah, Isaiah 61 says we're trees of righteousness. A tree can only bear fruit when it has root. And you know, a tree has to endure the different seasons. There's different seasons. God never intended for us to always have the season of revival. I'm all, oh, I would love to play, be in a place where it's just sunshine all the time. Some people think that reading the book of Acts, that's what it was. It wasn't. When you go from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4, there was about 11 years that transpired. They went through the routine, Sunday after Sunday, preaching, teaching, plotting, planting, grinding some things out. And I guarantee you, when Peter got up to preach, he got up one day and got 3,000 men. Peter, I just believe in God. Wow, you're the man of God. That's the church. I want to be 3,000 saved in one day. I'm going for that guy. Well, guess what? The next month, 3,000 didn't get saved. A couple years later, Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 5. They were having church. A guy came in with an offering. And he changed his mind instead of bringing all of the proceeds. As he promised to the apostles, he decided to change his mind and keep part of the proceeds for himself. It's one of those exciting parts of the passage. first thing out of Peter's mouth, he says, uh, Ananias. I noticed that uh, you didn't bring all the proceeds you had made a commitment to. Well, yeah, me and Sapphira decided to just kind of, you know, keep part of it. Bible says the guy drops dead. Everybody's shocked. They carried his body out. They buried him. Three hours later, Sapphira comes in. And Peter says, what happened? There was no condemnation. It's just Peter was simple. It's Peter was nothing, doing nothing but asking a question. Because he changed, because they changed their mind about their commitment. You know, God takes commitment pretty seriously. Sapphira drops dead. And then after that, a very few verses down, you'll find in Acts chapter 5 that the church was exploding. 
And it says, and fear came upon all those that believed. They were part of the house of God. Now, you know, one of the things that Jesus did with Nathaniel, Nathaniel comes, Nathaniel's a skeptic. In fact, the, 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 core, the core of my message was the case of Nathaniel. Nathaniel came because he was a skeptic, and let me tell you why. In fact, in some ways, I understand why he was a skeptic and a critic, because Nathaniel was tired. He was so tired of the religious dogma and the confusion and all of the religious and political and economic wars that were going on in Palestine and Judea during that day. He was tired of it. He was tired of, the, of just a lot of talk. He was tired of the religious hypocrisy that he had seen. He was tired of it. Nathaniel really was a godly man. He was tired of the phoniness and the fakiness, not in the world, but, but was in the synagogues. He was tired of it. So when he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's because all he saw was the scheming, the corruption, the political game playing, the politics, and the manipulation from leadership. He was tired of it. Do you know that we have the same problem in America today? Whether it's in our economy, whether it's in politics. And when John got up this morning, I, I pray you heard the word of the Lord. God is going to be shaking things in our nation. This is not a prophecy of doom. God is going to shake some things so that he can begin to deal with First of all, let me tell you what he's going to shake. He's not shaking things in the area of politics and the economy, although those things are being affected. He's shaking things first and foremost to clean up his house, the church. Because the Bible says that if my people didn't say if the Republicans or the Democrats or if Herod, if, if, if we could get just the leaders, if, if we could just get more policemen, if we could get better educators, if we could just get more taxes and pour it into the poor, if we could just change the, all the political narrative, political narratives and things. You no, know, God says that the answer to a healthy and blessed nation is when my people, which are called by my name, will unite and become a reflection of my glory. And when the church begins to arise as the way he created and the way she was intended to be, then he said, all the nations. He says that righteousness exalts the nation. But sin is a reproach. Where does righteousness come from? Not politics, not politicians, not schools, not educators, not municipalities, not principalities. It comes from the church. It starts with leaders in the house repenting of sin, humbling themselves, coming and taking off filthy garments and beginning to put on righteous garments and not just speaking the word, but living the way you speak. When we begin to change our message and get our act together in the house, you will see an absolute Amen. catastrophic. Let me tell you something. How many of you know 
that if I turn the lights off in this sanctuary, it becomes dark. How many here have ever gone to bed at night and turned the darkness on? No, you turned the lights off. How many here have ever come into a light room and you turned the darkness on? No, you always turn the light off. When you turn the light off, darkness. How many have ever had your house wired so you can get more darkness? Want to wire my house so I can get more darkness in the house? You don't have to do that. You wire your house for heat and for light. Well, what I'm telling you this morning is God is wiring us and rewiring us to bring more light. Because you can get used to living in the dark. You can be, living in the dark is living with deception, living with a lie, and accepting the lie that I don't need the house of God, I don't need the church, I don't need prayer, I don't need, I don't, I don't need to take this legalism to be in church. Yeah, there are pastors. There are pastors, if you don't come to church, I don't know about you. You know, yeah, they, they can convey that in a legalistic way that makes you just feel bad because maybe there was ignorance, or maybe you just, maybe you're like Nathaniel. You can be like Nathaniel. What does ever come, what, what good does there ever come out of open heaven? What, what good ever comes out of Nazareth? I'm going to tell you something. Jesus came out of Nazareth to bring a point. But no matter how bad the darkness is, the light is hiding in the very thing that you may be despising because God wants to show us and tell us a message is that no matter how bad the darkness is and no matter how dark it is, he can come out of that light and he can bring a conversion to an entire city. He can bring conversion and light, but he wants us to stop looking at the wrong thing. Stop looking at everything that's wrong and start looking at the Messiah who's coming out of it to bring transformation to those who are in that darkness. With this, I'm going to close. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus one day came into a synagogue. Jesus just came into the synagogue, and it says, and all the eyes were fastened on Jesus. And it says that Jesus looked around, and the Pharisees had such a control on those synagogues and on those services because their services were so in order in such a way to follow certain religious traditions and procedures that there was no room for the Holy Spirit to move. But yet there were such religious, oppressive laws upon the people that in one case, and in this case in Mark 3, the Bible said there, there was a man who came into the synagogue and he was hiding a withered hand. Leviticus makes it clear that any man with a withered hand or a withered limb was not permitted to come into the house of God. You're considered defiled, under a curse. The guy comes into the 
the synagogue with a withered hand, Jesus tells this man that is hiding his problem. He says this, you step forward. Now, I'm sure the guy, wow, what's, what, what's going to happen here? Jesus says, step forward. So the guy comes forward. And the Bible says, read it, Mark 3. It says, when Jesus looked around the synagogue, and this is what he says, he was grieved. Jesus was grieved. And then it says that he was not only grieved, but he was angered. He wasn't smiling. He was angry. It says it. Read it. He was grieved and he was angry because those who were broken, those who were weak, there was no life being ministered to them. Jesus, then Jesus made a statement. He says, is it lawful for a man to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to do good for people on the Sabbath? Is it a good thing to help people that are broken? Should, should we attend to the weak, to those that are broken? Should, should, should they come covering their problem? Or should we minister life to those that are broken? Should we show mercy? And all the Pharisees are thinking about, shut Jesus down. He's breaking up the program. We, we've got our little traditions to follow through. We've got to do our hand washing seven times. And we've got to go through. And now bless you in Jesus' name and throw a bunch of sprinkled clean water and go back there. And you know what? And then now, now get out of here, you bunch of dumb sheep. Bring the next crap. That's the way they treated him. They were hirelings. You know what a hireling does? They herd sheep. They're herding them. They don't draw them. They don't love them. They don't care about them. They herd them. Jesus now looks at the man because he gets no response from the, the preachers. He says, stretch forth your hand. You know what that meant? That meant he had to be absolutely vulnerable about his weakness. Because no one knew that he had a withered hand. He says, stretch forth your withered hand. He says, stretch it forth. Do you know what faith means? Faith means I'm reaching even though it's vulnerable and even though it sometimes may seem embarrassing. But you see, you're not going to be condemned. You're going to be restored. The Bible says when he stretched his hands, his hand was completely made whole. Guess what happened? The Pharisees got mad. They got mad. The Bible says, and this, this to me is even prophetic, they begin to think about how they could kill Jesus. And it says this, and Jesus departed from that synagogue. To me, that's a sad thing is when God departs because we don't accept his Holy Spirit to move in our lives. I want to just say this to this church. God has planted me as a pastor, Carol and I, at this season. I just want to make a commitment to you. I want to be a commitment to pray, 
to study, to show myself approved. I want to just commit myself to bring the word of God without fear and favor of man. I do believe that even though shakings are going to come, I also also believe that there's going to be more demonstration of the power of God than we ever know and see. God doesn't shake things without demonstrating his power because when he demonstrates things, when things are falling apart, it's to show who's really in charge. How many of you know God's in charge? Doesn't matter what you're going through, he's going to show. But we need one another. Ah, Pastor A, you're just after more offerings. No, I'm not. Keep your offerings. You don't want to, you don't want to tithe? tithe? Don't tithe. Diet, tithe somewhere else. That is not our motive. It's not money. It never will be. By the way, you are not my source. Well, Ray, you're not working. Yeah, well, I can work. And I don't care about that. But what I do, what really concerns me the most is what I'm going to have to say when I stand before God. That's, that's what concerns me. Have I walked with integrity? That concerns me the most. So that, that, that's what Carol and I, that's what's before us. But I just want to tell you something. God is bringing together a body, and the purpose of the body obviously is to be a family. If you've ever read uh, Exodus, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 35, where God says that he spoke to the valley of dry bones, and they rose up, and flesh came onto the bones. They stood up as a man, and it says that man become a mighty army. God intends for the church to become an army. We're not going to use weapons of warfare. Our weapons are not carnal but our weapons are mighty through God and tearing down one of the greatest weapons we can have. And listen to me, one of the greatest weapons you have is your testimony. Do not be ashamed of where you come from. Do not be ashamed of what you walk through. Do not be ashamed of Nazareth. God can take a Nazareth and he can change the whole composition of the city because Jesus was there all along, and just because he was hidden, and you didn't see it, all you saw was the dirt and the corruption, I'm going to tell you, he's coming out of that place, and it's going to change the way you look at that place, because when you see it differently, here's the thing that made the difference in Nathaniel was mercy. Nathaniel was overcome by the mercy of Jesus. Here was a guy who'd studied the law and the prophets, but he never understood the mercy of God. It's God's mercy that transforms people not the law. When you get a hold of Jesus, when you see Jesus, doesn't matter what dark place you've you've been in, when you see Jesus, he makes everything new. He changes everything for you. Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today. Lord, I just ask you right now that you would just continue not only to blow upon us, but Lord, help us to recognize the importance of who we are. Help us to recognize that what we're doing, Lord, is not about wasting time. We're not here, Lord, just to blow smoke, have another song service, a little, little, another little sermonette. But Lord, you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Maybe this morning while your heads are bowing, you may say, Pastor Ray, I need a, just a realignment. I need a realignment of who I am, where I'm at, what God's calling me to do. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Okay, I see your hand. 
See your hands all over. Okay, thank you, Father. Father, you see these hands. Lord, I pray right now for just an infusion. Lord, that you can turn our darkness into light. You can transform weakness into strength. Lord, you can take a bad story and you can make it a story of the mercy and the grace of God for what the enemy meant for evil. God takes and turns it around for his good and raises us, Lord, to be champions of his glory and grace. I'm asking you, Lord, right now that you would just quicken our hearts to recognize that what we're a part of is to infiltrate, to connect, not only with each other, but even in our community. Lord, help us to recognize the importance of where we are. I don't have to go halfway around the world to be a missionary. I can be a missionary, Lord, here in Garland, Texas, Plano, McKinney. I can be a missionary in my school, my job, my neighborhood. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've given me purpose, joy. You've given me a, a new, new, new life in Christ. You've given me forgiveness and grace. And, Lord, the enemy would come as the liar as he is, and he seeks to destroy God's people with condemnation, holding them hostage to the past. Father, I pray right now that we would rise up with resurrection power, and we would begin to confess that we are new creatures in Christ, created for Christ, created in him, to be ambassadors of reconciliation and restoration. We give you the highest praise, and everyone said, amen. Stand to your feet and just hug someone and tell them, I'm so glad I'm joined with you, my brother and my sister.